You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange, the podcast of me, Sarah Raven, and my friend, Arthur, who's not actually here today, but instead I have got Graham Goff, who is an old horticultural friend of mine who I first met at Great Dixter through Christopher Lloyd. We both did a bit of our training there, me very short period of time, but Graham rather longer, and Graham shared a passion for music with Christo and opera particularly, and as well as being the most incredible horticulturalist, Graham has got the most wonderful, wonderful voice. We're not here to talk about opera today, we're here to talk about plants, and particularly about plants that are great for right now, as we are in the middle of January. January can seem like quite a tricky time. I, I rather like January actually because it's sort of hibernating time and we're all trying to be healthy and, and not drink too much and get over the Christmas excess. <laughs> and I rather like that. But in the garden, it can be quite grey. But of course, there are plants that aren't grey and are beautiful that are just coming out now like snowdrops. And the reason that I wanted to talk to Graham today is he is what's called a galanthophile. And he has this wonderful nursery quite near me, between me here at Perch Hill and Lewis. And it's called Marchant's Hardy Plants. And I couldn't more passionately recommend it. But anyway, welcome, Graham. I'd love to get you to chat about why you love snowdrops, what you love about snowdrops, which are the favourites, you know, all things Galanthus. Well, Sarah, thanks for inviting me. Uh, It's lovely to be here at Perch Hill again. Galanthus, oh dear, it's a mad, mad world, Galanthus. (laughs) I think it's always been a mad, mad world, actually, because the interest in collecting snowdrops most probably goes back to Edwardian times. People like Augustus Bowles and the Elwes family, (gasps) Um, they were kicking around at the time. And their names are still... Exactly. Yeah, they still prevail, really. Yeah, I've got an Elwesii, I think. Well, there you are. Yeah. An Elwes, lovely. There used to be a singer called Elwes, too, who I used to follow as a youngster. Really? Actually, a tenor. Yeah. And I think he was from that family, the Gloucestershire family. But, um, no, my own interest in in snowdrops goes back to my work with Elizabeth Strangman at Washfield Nursery in... Oh, when I say it was a mad, mad world, I think there was a, there's always been a cognoscenti in horticulture. You know, people who really know their subject. And when it's like that, I think it happens in any walk in life, people are drawn together to Mm. discuss their subject. And this has happened for a very long time with snowdrop parties. And Liz Strangman was very much part of that scene, if you like. And when I started working for it, it was natural that I'd get drawn into it. So I got invited to these mad, mad affairs where people would take magnifying glasses and and, uh, kneelers so that they could get on the ground and look at the finer parts of the snowdrops. It was really amazing, actually. And I got introduced to all the best snowdrop growers did you basically but the thing was i got the bug yeah and when (laughs) as i say when i was working with um elizabeth i used to do the snowdrops in the garden and more often than not there would be little offsets that 
used to come off the bulbs and they weren't worth putting back in. So I used to look to my left and to my right. And if no one was coming, I used to slip them into my pocket. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I I used to take... Yeah, I used to take them home to um, New Haven, where my parents' garden was, and I built up a, quite a good collection, actually, on chalk. And what I found was they were super on chalk. Wow. In fact, one of the great snowdrop gardens is High Down right. um, on the coast. That was the home of Sir Frederick Stern. He wrote a wonderful little book, maybe the first book on snowdrops right. and uh, snowflakes. It's a collector's piece now. But, uh, yeah, he was, uh, again, one of the seminal characters. So, for me, snowdrop collecting goes back, let's see, about 40 years, something like that, yeah. Uh, Now, I'm not as mad as most people because (laughs) um, uh, it's been very kind of you to say the nice things about our nursery. Of course, we're quite well known. And uh, we really specialise in grasses and herbaceous plants. But when you talk about January, it's that little niche month. Now, snowdrops actually flower very early in the year because um, I remember last year in November that um, I had a clump in the garden. That's most probably the earliest snowdrop that you can get, November, October, and then they go right the way through to May. But January and February are the months of the snowdrop, and that's when I have least work. Really, in the garden, so I can give my full attention to them. So are you going to have a festival or not? We're a very small nursery. I think people, we might have a very big reputation, but we're a very small nursery. And we we actually have a very serious problem with parking. We can maybe Ah. only get about 10 cars. So the idea of a festival, we've got no fields. Most of my neighbours are enemies anyway, so uh, I can't ask them for the land to park on. Yeah. So what we do do, we do mail order, yeah, which has proved quite good. We did that for the first time last year. It was very successful. And um, this year, and in most years, we do a snowdrop sale. Right. And that will consist of, we offer about 50 different snowdrops wow. for sale uh, of varying prices. And I'm sure we will talk about prices of snowdrops yes, we need a to. little later. <laughs> and that's an absolutely crazy game, really where that's gone but um yeah we have these 50 snowdrops and people just come over a weekend and this year all excitement i think in february uh we've been invited to a snowdrop gala how about that now you have to be really bonkers to go to a snowdrop (laughs) gardener um in fact one time it was so funny i sold a a snowdrop to a german and um he tried to broil me in being his collector of snowdrops at snowdrop galas and i told him that i was a busy man and he said oh he said i'm so disappointed (laughs) he said if if only i could get there he said i would put on my trainers and when the doors open i would run (laughs) as fast as i could to the plant i want (laughs) I couldn't believe all this, but that is an absolutely true story. Really? And he had just paid me £165 for one plant really? on eBay. 
Yeah, it was it was hilarious, really. And and why are they just so crazily expensive? Because they take ages to bulk up, or a mix of that and demand, or what is it? It's got to be demand. I okay. think I, I think you know, you know I yeah. know we talk about the analogies of the tulipomania yeah, that yeah. happened in. I think we've got a scenario here Gosh. that's exactly the same, <laughs> and we've been saying for years now, when's the bubble going to burst? Yeah. and it, it's maybe tailing a little bit but there was a time about three four five years ago where honestly you could just name your price really and but it was through auctions (gasps) and i think that's how it happened in holland yes with the tulips you've only got to have two people who want one plant and then the prices go through the roof so i think we've seen prices up to a thousand pound per bulb Really? Seriously? Yeah. I, uh, that's something I would never, I've never paid more than £15 no. actually for no. a bulb. No. I just, I don't know, I don't think it's in me to do that. I mean, the risk of losing one. Yeah. I was actually given an incredibly rare bulb, uh, which had come from the Crimea, a form of plicatus, a green plicatus it was. And I'll try and explain a little later about the shape of flowers and how they are, because yeah. it's very important to the understanding yeah, yeah. of Galanthus. But this green plicatus, I thought, well, if it's that round, I'm going to propagate it. And there is a way where you can treat a bulb like a Christmas cake, ba- wow, basically. You just, you just slice it. it. It's called twin scaling. Gosh. And I did that and I lost the thing completely. Oh, no. Yeah, I did. I did. I have you not, killed it. You're about the only person I've told <laughs> That story, it was incredible, really. But yeah, I did lose it. And I didn't tell the person who had given it to me that I'd lost it. I felt deep shame about that. But for the most part, uh, we grow snowdrops quite well. Uh, The really keen people will propagate their bulbs by that. Because let me tell you, if you've got one fat galanthus bulb, you can cut that into about 32 pieces. You really can. Yeah, but it, you're then into a three-year process okay. of, yeah. Um, yeah. before you yeah. can sell them. Yeah. So I just do them by division. It's a lovely yeah. process. Yeah, really. yeah. And, and so then do you sell them in the green or do you sell yeah. them? Yeah, so we they're, do. They're all we potted do. in the green. They're all potted. I always pot my plants. Mm. They're always dug about three to four days before we sell them. Yeah. And... When you enter our potting shed, it's like entering a child's fairyland. We used to sell them by candlelight. Oh, yeah, because it's dark in January, yes. of course. And at the end of the day, Lucy, my wife, would yeah. come out and we'd um, put candles amongst them. Oh. It was quite magical, yeah. really. And they do look pucker when they're they're, they're very buoyant. Yeah. And because I only sell the plants that are in flower, I get to choose the best plants, effectively. Because yes. yes. um, in January, there will be quite a number of uh, bulbs that are still dormant. Yes, so, of course. there you go. Yeah. But, um, yeah, well, it, it's been a good time. It's a nice little fill-up. It's uh, filled my cellar, I have to say, my snowdrop money. Yeah, has it? <laughs> but, but it's, um, I remember very well two things, actually, as you're talking that it reminds me of. When Molly, who is is my daughter, who's now 25, uh, was born, a mutual friend of ours, Pip Morrison, arrived here. We were already living here and he'd been to see you and he bought a huge clump of, I think it's Sam Arnott. Mm. So I know it's not of your class of of snowdrop normally, but I rather love it because it's so sort of tall and like a light bulb, isn't it? 
And then he he bought me another one, which I must I must bring to you in January to find out what it is because I'm afraid I've lost the label since. But it's it's a beautiful, really tall, incredibly elegant, and hangs in a in a very distinctive way, sort of coming out from the stem rather than hanging vertically down. It's got this beautiful mm. arching habit. Anyway, I'll, I'll bring it to you so that I can but get it. You see, that's the thing, isn't it, Sarah? That's what makes snowdrop collecting so interesting, yeah. really. And I'm going to castigate you now because oh. I have to say, if you take a snowdrop like Galanthus SR, not we're meant to call it, not Sam, oh. he was a provost apparently and he was never known as Sam. Oh, okay. But, yeah. But um, that is such a fantastic snowdrop. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, there are plants, even in my grasses and herbaceous selections, that I'll never turn my back on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're just there in the core yes. of plants. Yes. And yes. I think I remember going to Mary Keynes one time, and that's a garden that you know. Yes. And we, you might have been there with us at that point, because I remember turning this corner, and she had a bank of Sam Arnott. Yeah. I shouldn't call it Sam Arnott. No, you shouldn't. <laughs> You're a quick learner. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, there, there they were on that bank. And I thought, really, you couldn't do better than yeah. that. But to come back to that idea, this slightly slanting snowdrop, yeah. I'm not quite sure what one it is, but it's all those little differences, yes, I completely. think, in snowdrops and the markings on the inside yeah. sepals yeah. and on the outside petals. It could keep you amused yeah. for... You can't believe how long. In fact, I had one woman, she was, uh, I'd heard about her on the grapevine. She'd been collecting, she was new to collecting snowdrops, and I'd heard that she collected about 700 snowdrops in, oh, a year or two, something like that. And then the phone rang one day, and uh, blow me, it was this woman on the end of the line. And um, I said, are you that woman that's uh, collected 700 snowdrops, you know, over... I just had an intuitive feeling about it. She said, no, you're quite wrong there. It's 2,000, actually. (laughs) (laughs) That's so brilliant. But I remember, I mean, the the reason that it fills me with optimism at this time of year and and brings back the memory of, like, Molly being born and stuff is just within three years I was able to lift, like, a massive clump, sort of, you know, the size of a sort of Moses basket and and put it gradually all around the garden and then each of those clumps. And that's what's so rewarding is you can't believe it's so easy. And I was really quite a beginner gardener at that point, but you just lift them up, you divide them and you plop them in somewhere else, planting them at the same level and off they go. And and that's why I remember the Mary Keene one was just such a lovely thing. And, And I also remember... The, the rather marvellous garden designers, Julian and Isabel Bannerman, and I once went to visit them in January, uh, perhaps late January, this sort of time of year, and they had two incredible things which sound rather like your beautiful potting shed. One was they had this snowdrop theatre and they had lifted, as Vita Sattva West used to do apparently, they'd lifted small sections of each clump they had around the garden and put a label and put them into terracotta pots and then they just had this beautiful shelf of these incredible different varieties. And, of course, because they were in the theatre, you could see some. You could look right into the flower from below. It was such a great idea, mm. like an auricular theatre, but in a way even lovelier because it was in January. And then the other thing they had, which I'll never forget, was this totally genius stone trough which was under a wisteria. And, of course, the wisteria came into leaf in April and dropped its leaves 
in sort of, you know, November time. And then, so they then had cyclum and hedrofolium, and then it moved into cyclum and coom, which of course flowers in autumn, and then it moved into cyclum and coom, which flowers in in sort of January and February, and then topped with S. Arnott. And it was just so genius, because then of course, down comes the canopy of the wisteria, and it's hidden, dry shade, and then up it came again. So it would have cost an absolute fortune to create it, but it was there for a lifetime, really. That's so creative yeah. thinking. I love that sort of creative gardening, that layered effect exactly. that you get. It's yeah. the thing that we love about Dixter, of course, isn't yeah. it? How they yeah. get many seasons out of a whole year. Yeah, um, so brilliant. I've never quite managed that with snowdrops, I must admit. I think for me, to see snowdrops at their best, their very, very best, I would recommend to anyone that they go to Walsingham Abbey oh, in, in Norfolk. Norfolk oh. Because I don't know whether you know, um, it's mooted, the idea is mooted that um, snowdrops were passed on a sort of Christian path, if you like, on the way through to Compostela oh. or coming back. And it was a sort of route that people would carry Oh, or wow, move forward with snowdrops. <gasps> Walsingham's pretty much at the end of yes. that line. Yeah. There are millions and millions wow. and millions. And, and to see that is truly awe-inspiring. Oh, in much so the same way, and I never have, I'd love to see snowdrops in the wild because yes. it's lovely. It's a real education to see plants in the wild and see how they grow and where they grow and so forth but coming back to the bannermans that that seems to me to be a really lovely idea with my own snowdrops when you've got a collection it's a bit dinky toyish i'm afraid you know you're collecting your numbers and your names and yes, so forth yes. i've often thought it'd be a good idea to see if i could sell snowdrops with nothing in the pot in the summer yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's a tricky idea. But I think people look at the names. Yes. I don't think they even care whether the no. snowdrops will no. be there, quite frankly. They're no. collecting the name. Yeah. But um, <gasps> that's being a little bit naughty on my part, a bit mischievous. But, um, yeah, w when, you've, when you're building a collection, it's quite important to keep them apart. Ah, uh, yes, because they don't cross... Fertilized. Exactly, yeah. but there's that side of me that also loves that randomness. Yes, of, yes, and just how they seed. I mean, yeah. you most probably found with your own clumps that they yeah. can seed yeah. quite readily. And some snowdrop growers will go to the extent of actually removing the seed oh. from so that they don't get seedlings. Yes. Oh, yes, because they don't want hybrids. Exactly. Yeah. But my idea of heaven is to have uh, seedlings. Um, cropping up here and there you'll often find them under little hedges a long way away from the plants and I've raised no end of plants that mm. I've named myself Brilliant. and uh, last year I named it's most probably the biggest snowdrop I've ever seen it occurred as a seedling in our <gasps> garden and it sounds a bit sentimental to say this but I love my dad so much that I decided to name it after him so no. we've now got a, a snowdrop called Alby R.N. Royal Navy, that was, because oh. he was in the Royal Navy during the war. And it's an amazing thing. It's so big. It looks more like a, well, I don't know, like a Galanthus on speed, really. Does it? Yeah. And what, um, um, and what is that going to cost? A lot. <laughs> I but, bet. <laughs> yeah, a lot. Um, but I told you about the German who bought a, a plant yeah. um, sometime back. He paid £165 a plant. I am very democratic with my prices. Actually. Yes, I know you. And I think I tend to be quite fair 
on prices. So what did I charge? I charged £40 for one of those. And uh, I thought that was a fair price. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I want to know... If you were to name five favourites, now I know that's really mean and, and, and yeah. I get asked what are your five favourite dailies and it's hard, but I would love to know, just for a sort of complete beginner maybe, where should they start with their Galanthus collection? Well, we'd have to go back to the snowdrop that you mentioned, Esarno, and yeah. I would choose it because it's an accessible plant. You can, you can buy it quite easily, yeah. but it's such a fantastic plant. It's known for its vigour. It's a very old plant now, mm. but it's known for its vigour, increases mm. well. Mm. And I think with someone who's starting out at collecting snowdrops, they need to start well. Mm. There's nothing like starting at the top. And some snowdrops are very, very difficult, yeah. but SR not isn't. I think there's a wonderful snowdrop. It's similar to SR not, but it's a great favourite of mine. And it's called Galanthus elwesii. Ah, oh, yes. And Elwesii has very distinct leaves, which are convolute. Elwesii var monostictus. And that means that it has one marking at the apex. And the apex is effectively the bottom of the yes. flower. Yes, yeah? exactly. It's the it's bottom of the bell. It's as you look at it. But if you yeah. turn it up, up yeah. it's at the top. Yes, yes. That's a rather difficult concept to yes. uh, explain. But that particular plant... It's the way it holds itself. It comes up in an arch and over, and it hangs like a lantern, ah, just like a lantern. Yeah. And every time, I've grown that plant for years and years and years, but it's got such quality yeah. to it. Graceful. So, yes, so that I would definitely have. Is there any for scent particularly? Well, there are. There are many snowdrops that are scented, but I come back to SR not. Ah, for instance, yes. because S. Yes, Arnott has a very, very good scent. You know what that's, um, the scent of a, a snowdrop is? It's of honey, a yeah. very rich <gasps> honey. So I won't single any one out. Okay. Uh, any number of snowdrops are quite scented. Yeah. So, um, and I think that's a very interesting facet of snowdrops in a way. I be, I went into a room once where someone a snowdrop grower had picked a bunch of uh, snowdrops and it filled the whole room wow. with scent Gosh. amazing but like all scents <laughs> they need certain weather conditions yeah. outside so warmer, warmer warmth i think induces yeah. um yeah, yeah, yeah scent yeah. in snowdrops and what about unusual coloured ones? Have you got any that you're particularly crazy about? Like I know some people like the yellow ones, which I have to say I think look a bit sick. I couldn't agree more with mm. you, really. There, I've hardly any yellows. Pale greens can be very yeah. effective. Yeah, yeah. If you've got dark foliage and pale green markings yeah. on the petals. But I think this is where the world of snowdrops is beginning to split and where the collectors are really beginning to take over right. because what we're finding now are aberrations of snowdrops yes Weirdos. and they're get yeah exactly mm. they're, they're getting right out on a tangent yeah. with the things that they're choosing to offer they're costing a fortune to buy yeah. and to be fairly honest sarah they don't even look like snowdrops quite frankly no. so i'm fairly cynical of that side of it but that's for the collectors really yeah. And it can go wherever it likes. But I, I think the price of the snowdrops will actually kill it. 
yeah, at some point. Yeah, yeah, It's rather tragic. And then the other thing, I mean, I know we've only had two from your list of oh, five, yeah. mm. but we can come back to that. But the other thing that I remember learning was this thing that you started with, which is that you can have a snowdrop from sort of November until June or whatever. Mm. And so, again, to uh, Sam Bitey to ask you to name one for each month or six weeks that would give you a lovely succession in a sort of woodland garden. Well, I'll start with the, uh, the first snowdrops. In the autumn, I remember a man coming to Washwood Nursery. He lived at Tenderden, and he passed me this snowdrop, which was in full flower in October. Wow. And his name was Peter Gatehouse. And I still actually grow that plant oh. after 30 or 40 years. And uh, we've never discovered where it came from, other than from Peter's garden. It was yeah. most probably a seedling that occurred there. And it's been such a good doer. Yeah. But you know, it's a funny thing seeing a snowdrop yeah. in October. Yeah. It doesn't quite look fit, right. no. Yeah, it doesn't fit. Strawberries at Christmas sort Yeah, of thing. it's strawberries at Christmas. Yeah. John Morley named a snowdrop three ships, and that was tied into Christmas, oh, of okay. course. Yeah. And uh, but that I found to be a very weak plant, but oh. it it came at the right season. Yeah. But once you get into January, end of January, and in, into February, you get such a plethora yeah. of snowdrops. It's really difficult to yeah. to navigate yeah. between them. Yeah. But what is extraordinary, um, you will get flowers i i used to have one called waranaui that was a species and that was always very late flowering with me that would flower in april but to be fair you know we talk about that october snowdrop being out of place waranaui yes, seemed yes. out of place because yeah, yeah, you know yeah. there's so much going on then yeah so this fixed period of yeah. jan feb is the way to go i think so yeah. i think it is a few outliers are interesting but it's having that mass because snowdrops on mass, a collection when you see, I've got one particularly long border about 60 feet long crammed with snowdrops. It's wow. a wonderful sight wow. in mid-February. But my attention completely turns yeah. elsewhere yeah. After, after that. that. When they've gone and, and so then what do you do? Do you just march them? Do you do nothing? You know, How do you make them happiest? Well, I tell you what. People don't realise how wonderful snowdrop foliage is. Mm. It's absolutely fantastic because, you know, they emerge through the soil, then the scape emerges mm. and the flower. Yeah. The Sometimes the foliage isn't altogether developed at that point, but after flowering, the, the foliage erupts. And to see a bank yes. with snowdrop foliage on is really rather beautiful yes. because it's that glaucous grey yeah, and in many species it's also quite shiny the foliage yeah. so it reflects light so i love them and that will go on well into shall we say beginning of may yeah and thereafter i will just pass on a, a little tip because you will have heard of i'm sure of the narcissus fly well that doesn't just attack narcissus oh. it also attacks galanthus oh. and the channel left by dying foliage oh. on galanthus is where this where they can exactly lay their eggs they and make then access the yeah the maggots make access to the yeah. bottom of the bulb and you can lose them so what i do tend to do is tear the foliage off as okay. it's dying yeah and then i put a mulch on okay and that always serves a good purpose yeah. for the following year yeah 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 I think snowdrops also like a lovely warm summer 
to ripen their bulbs and to induce their flowers. Yes. Uh, I don't think they like drought over no, much. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I remember, I remember really well Fergus at Great Dixter, one of the things he taught me when I was an intern there for a bit was that they cut their grass very, very late at Dixter because they've got, in the, in the dappled shady areas, they have their snowdrops and in the sunny areas, they have their crocus that start in, in January and go through February, March, mm. etc. And we all know Great Dexter is so famous for its meadows. But mm. but uh, it was so clever, this idea of cutting your grass as late as you can bear to into December so that it's really tight. And then, of course, all these bulbs show so prominently. Whereas if you cut, you know, the, at the traditional time, your last cut is sort of mid-October when supposedly the grass stops growing – it doesn't actually, and all the lush grass then completely covers the more delicate bulbs. I am completely in accord with yeah. that because I always say to people, I, I say it with meadow gardening anyway, but particularly with bulbs, those early crocus, yeah. you know, the spring crocus, furnace, we always try to put a cut in yeah. before anything has emerged. Yes. But you, you're reliant on the weather. Yes. You need dry weather. You don't. It's not good cutting grass in very, very wet weather. We all know about that. But yes, if you can get that cut in, they look so, so, so much better. Yeah. Uh, it's true of Galanthus as it is um, Crocus, I believe. Yeah. yeah. And I'm looking out of your window here. Your grass is looking quite tight, I know. But yes, we know how much growth yeah. grass can put on between October and uh, December, yeah. January. Yeah. yeah, it can wreck a display, actually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I suppose maybe to think about finishing now, but do you pick them or do you frown on, on picking them and bringing them into the house? No, I don't frown on picking them. I think flowers are for picking. Yeah. I can't bear it when I get customers who don't pick their flowers. I bet yeah. you do too. I certainly do. <laughs> flowers are for cutting. Yeah. And I think, and this is what I would say about it actually, because when you have a pot of flowers, be they Narcissus, Galanthus or whatever, on the centre of your table, Yeah. How much attention do yeah. you pay to those flowers? You learn much, much more yeah. by having them in front of you. And I'm blessed with a beautiful and lovely wife who makes it, just like you, who makes exquisite bunches yeah. for the table. Yeah. And she'll go around the garden and I say, Lucy, pick flowers where there are generous quantities yes. of them. If you had a new rarity yes. and that flower's picked, I wouldn't be too happy yes. with that. But I love having flowers. Uh, we have flowers in our loo, in the kitchen, in the bedroom, Brilliant. everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And it is because of this detail that you can look. Yes. I've learned more through Lucy's flower bunches yeah. or tuzzy muzzies, yeah. as we call them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, than any other way, really. I mean, it's so right. My dad, who was a botanist, taught me this rule, even in the wild, that I could pick one in a hundred. Ah. And, and for that exact reason, which is that I would then have it by my bed from the age of sort of five or six yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it would, all the way through the school week, I'd have this flower by my bed. And and I would really get to know and care about it. And so I would then want to protect it. And I, I minded about not just that flower, but then about where it grew and about habitats. And he's so right. I mean, I'm sure that's why I've ended up doing what I do and being a gardener and, um, and sort of being involved with that whole, particularly wildflowers. But if you don't bond with it, you don't care, do you? No, that's exactly it. Yeah. And I, I'm trying to think 
what is the psychology about not wanting to pick? Yeah. I can't quite get my head around it, really. Yeah. It's like wanting I to know. preserve something in aspic, yeah. but it's not like that. It's no. a moving picture yes. all the time. Yes. So in a way, by picking that bunch, it's like saving something yeah. and having it there to really enjoy. Good. Yeah. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Well, I think that's a really lovely, optimistic note to end on. And snowdrops, of course, are around right now. And I'm certainly going to be planting more this spring. And in the green is the way to do it. And they will then gradually naturalise. And the more, the merrier. Thank you so much, Graham. That was really lovely to talk to you. My pleasure, Sarah. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to Groker Eat Arrange. And next week, I'm back with Arthur and we're going to talk about all the methods of sowing that we use and that we've tried and tested, failed and succeeded with. So see you next week. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahaven.com.